was the time of the preacher In the year of one Now the lesson is over And the killing's begun Hello, people of the earth. This is Tony Jones. And Ryan Parker. And we are on Killer Serials. And we're just like reaching the crescendo of Preacher. It's getting like, it's getting like less gory and more theological as we, um, you know. It really is. Get, get ready to land the plane here on the first season of a comic book adaptation that's on AMC on Sunday nights and uh, has not a big-name cast, but has, like, big-name producers behind the, scene. Actors. Yeah, yeah. behind the scene making this thing work and really, really great acting and incredible effects and an amazing set. Um, so, you know... Ryan, let's just dive in. It's uh, as as we've said before, they're a little wonky because uh, the first episode is like episode zero zero, so we're on the sure. eighth episode, but it's actually episode like one point zero seven. Sure. Uh, and um, it op- you you have to know that El Oakland, Valero, you El Valero, to, El Valero. You have to know that um, there's something deep. There's some deep psychic injury that Odin Quinn Cannon experienced. And yes. when, the, when the show yes. opens and his entire family is on a uh, gondola in Vail and they all pose, and it's like, you know, it's like total early 80s, you know, yeah. uh, ski, ski gear, cheese ball, ski gear. And you just know something terrible is going to happen. I mean, there's, you know, as soon as it came on, I'm like, they're all going to die. Yeah. And sure enough, right after the family photo, the cable snaps and they all fall at, to their deaths. Now, to jump ahead a couple scenes in the show, there's this, there's a flashback. We saw the first part of a flashback where Jesse's dad gets called by uh, over to Quinn Cannons in the middle of the night. And he goes, and this seems to be part of what he's, you know, messed up in. We don't know that yet, but um, he gets there, and Odin Quinn Cannon is covered with blood. And we now we find out so, because we're seeing it from the perspective of Jesse, who goes along for the ride and ends up like sleeping on a couch out in the hallway of the Quinn Cannon Meet and Power office. And then we see inside the room, and he's saying, it, "It's like we see his crisis of faith, right?" He says he's holding an intestine of a cow that he slaughtered, and he's got the the like intestines kind of, of his granddaughter, the intestines or of kid. his daughter. I think da- daughter or granddaughter. And one you of them. Can't but, tell the difference. And he says to the pastor because he's got all these caskets in his office. They're not exactly caskets. They're like the bodies boxed up, like they were flown back on a plane. Plane boxes, in a, yeah. In a truck, right? And then he's got a cow that's dead that he killed. He's holding an intestine in each hand, and he yep. says, they're all just meat. You tell me the difference between my daughter's intestine yep. and, my, and, my, and the it's, cow's intestine, or maybe his granddaughter's. I look, there's no spirit, there's no soul, they're just meat. I think it's, for me, one of the best scenes of the series, 
and it feels the way that it was constructed, the way the whole scene was revealed shot by shot. It felt very comic book in nature. It looked like panels from a comic book. It looks like something uh, that you would read in, in the in the grittiest of graphic novels. So I loved it. And I think it reminded me of this line, and I always hate to do this because I, I don't know exactly where I read or heard it, and maybe you do, Tony, but C.S. Lewis had this line. I think it was, if you dig deep enough into the past of any villain, you'll find this moment of brokenness um, and yeah, kind of victimization. Right. And you really see that with Gwen Cannon. We talked about it over the last three or four episodes where we're waiting to see what he's up to. And now we know, I, I think we know, that it's not just about taking over land to expand his business, but it's also about crushing the church because God failed him in a sense. It's about destroying the church because he basically says there is no God. Yeah. You know, I looked, I, I cut open my granddaughter looking for a soul or spirit. I saw nothing. I found only meat. We're no different than the cows we slaughter. Yeah. And, you know, this is an age old, like very materialist reading of theology. We're nothing but meat puppets. We're like animated <laughs> meat puppets, you know. Yeah. And um, I mean, New this band goes name, back- animated meat puppets. Yeah, and this goes back to Socrates. Yeah, um, you know that uh, that there's this question of what what does it mean to be human, and I don't know that you know we, we get this. Jesse maybe has overheard this conversation, maybe hasn't, but we do know that as he walks by, the door is left ajar, and he looks in and he sees Odin Quincannon bloodied and holding these intestines and he gets this like a flashing view of this carnage in his office yeah um and you know he then now we know years later he has this very tempestuous relationship with odin quincannon in which they you know odin talks to him about spiritual matters they work on this civil war battlefield to get you know with little toys painting them together and now we're you know approaching the climax of the series of the, of the first season and Odin and his his posse his henchmen are coming to take over the church because there's been this bet and this misunderstanding um about who won the bet yeah because he said you're going to become a christian and all he said was serve the lord he didn't actually say are you a christian he said serve the lord and Odin says, I am serving the Lord, and I'm serving the Lord by tearing down your church. Yeah, and he says the church—he steals a line. Odin steals a line from the great new rap group, Run the Jewels, when he says the church is a lie. Mm. And he says, I'm going to tear it down peg by peg mm. when he's motivating these um, his troops, so to speak. So, I mean, that's basically the, the gist of this episode is that it's kind of like Custer's last stand, you know? Oh, the Alamo. Or that, yeah. So Jesse's holed up in this, in the church, uh, still trying to figure out what's going on with Eugene. And outside, it's it's Donnie and Odin and and the rest of the crew, and they're going to lay siege to the church, but they keep getting beaten back. Yeah. And it's interesting because you think that Donnie's going to go. He takes himself over to the car, puts his head in the trunk, and closes the trunk. And you think, well, he's just going to kill himself because it's the it's useless but actually he has this really smart move where he 
goes deaf maybe momentarily so he can go in and be immune to right. Jesse's words or to, to the power of Genesis. And there's a confrontation there in the church. I think there's a quick side note, too, in terms of plot. We see, again, these touching scenes with Tulip, who uh, is out. With, why is she adopting a pet? And we get the sense that somehow she's found and saved Cassidy. Well, we get that not till the end. I'll, I will admit it did not occur to me till she sent the dog into the room that the dog was a blood sacrifice for Cassidy. It did, it did not occur to me at all, and so I was excited to see that. I mean, there's it's going to obviously strengthen the bond that they have. Yeah. Because she realizes that Jesse has betrayed him, and Cassidy left him to die, and if she's the one that saved him, obviously that's going to deepen the rift between her and Jesse. And there's this, you know, there, here's another religious theme that it'd be interesting if we ever got the chance to talk to the the show's creators about, like, um, these, or, or, you know, or the guy, or the guys who created the comic, the original comic book, because um, the, the fact that Cassidy needs blood and the, and the fact that he, he, he gets a cow early on, uh, or early in the season, and now she's, um, uh, Tulip is feeding him dogs. These are animal blood sacrifices, basically, to appease a kind of, you know, a, a demiurge, kind of a, go- a half god, half man like figure who needs blood to survive, and she's going and getting these innocent animals who have been abandoned and are at the, you know, at the animal shelter, bringing them home, playing fetch with the dog, like loving up the dog, and then sending the dog in to this semi divine, immortal figure who needs blood to survive, and then behind the closed door. You know, we know that Cassidy kills the dog violently and drinks its blood. Yeah, and there's yeah. something and there's something interesting about the way Cassidy was portrayed in both the books and in the show, and that unlike typical vampires, he doesn't necessarily have to feed all the time right. on these and he's and he's joked about it in the show because he ate the hamburger and you know, a lot yeah. of times vampires can't eat traditionally can't eat food, but he can. But there is something about that notion of consuming this live creature or creatures when he's in dire circumstances. Yeah, the that blood somehow that brings him back, and he drinks the blood heal. in the hospital. Right, yeah. it helps him heal. Yeah, maybe the food can sustain him, but the blood is what is really what keeps him alive. Yeah, yeah, the and yeah, that's right. It, it that's exactly right. It's what keeps him alive, and it's what he needs. You know, and and if you look back to the history of blood sacrifice. The reason it happened was when the gods are angry. You know, that's when you have to sacrifice an inim- uh, um, an innocent animal, be it a human or some other kind of animal, uh, right. to to appease the bloodlust of the angry or somehow, you know, injured god. Yeah, to keep it alive. I I don't know why I keep doing this, but lately I've been I kind of reconsider. C.S. Lewis in light of some contemporary kind of pop cultural creations, kind of like the show, because I think he's I think he's far more liberal than, you know, the conservatives have historically made him out to be. And in the show, I think what we see also while Jesse's hold up in the church is the quote unquote return of Eugene from hell which we quick, quickly realize is just a vision, right? He's having this battle within himself in this conversation yeah. with Eugene. But he says, 
he asks him about hell, and Eugene says, two things about hell. It's not very far away, and it's very crowded. Yeah. And what a great line. What a great line, because I look around... You know, I look around the world and I think hell's not that very far away and it sure is crowded. Yeah. Like, you know, the sense that it, it's nearer to us than we think and it's probably not as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, dramatic as the church has made it out to be. Yeah. That it's yeah. far more, it's probably like what Lewis depicts in The Great Divorce, which is it's crowded, it's very close. And we're very close to people because it's yeah. our, of our own making. And there are no drinking fountains. And there's, yeah, yeah and it's our, it's our choice. Yeah, yeah. You know, because we well, can't stand it, to be in communion with other people. We just want to keep trying to move further and further away, but it pushes us closer and closer to the other people that do as well. It, it makes me wonder, you know, I was wondering, Eugene, play, Eugene plays a really big role in this episode, and you find out relatively early on that he's not really there or that only Jesse can see him. So what's sure. hard to figure, I mean, what I don't know yet, and I, I suppose it will be revealed, is whether he is some kind of a spirit or he, you know, he is actually Eugene in some kind of form back to haunt Jesse or whether he's purely a figment of Jesse's imagination. And, um, you know, but it is, it it does seem like the return of Eugene from hell is the thing that gets Jesse over the hump and willing to say, I'm going to relinquish Genesis to the angels. And he says, uh, which in one of the funnier, you know, these guys, first of all, these henchmen for Odin Quincannon are really looking forward to having a food court. And it's hilarious. That Odin Quincannon doesn't even. What's a food court? To me, that was the most Cohen Brothers. Oh my gosh! Of we talked about this in the last episode, and I think they just nailed it when he gets up on his little booth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then he says, "I need a sandwich." We're not going to have any sushis or or any chimichangas until you get on that church. And he's. And he's sitting there, and he tells his assistant, "What does he say? I need a sandwich and a drink, or something." And no, it's su- sunscreen. It's gonna be a long day. I need sunscreen, sunscreen and a sandwich. Sunscreen and then and when she sandwich. brings it, he's like, "Mustard? Oh yeah, good. You put mu- like that little throwaway line. You know uh, that that the dude wanted mustard. It just tells you something about him. Like in the middle of this absolute insane situation, he has this almost. Uh, he he has almost no affect." Like it's yeah. like when he kills, you know, he's screaming um, early. It, it, when in the flashback, when he's holding the intestines, he's very emotionally overwrought, and he's saying to Jesse's dad, Grief. "You need to go to church on Sunday, and you need to tell people this is all fake. It's all a lie. We're all just meat. Like I've checked it out. We're all just meat." By the time we see him in present day, he is almost completely without any affect. He kills people with no affect. Um, yeah. He pisses. He pisses into the mayor's briefcase with no affect, and now yeah. here he is staging an all-out assault yeah. on the church property. And he just—he doesn't raise his voice. He just yeah. wants a sandwich with mustard. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, one of his one of his henchmen gets his penis shot off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that was know. that was a comic book moment too. That was. I want to know. Except the comics probably would have drawn the penis. I yeah. want to know. Um, from you, what do you think about 
Jesse's journey, we've talked about this over the last two or three episodes in which he's moved from a, a humble servant pastor, so to speak, to this kind of self-confident leader, to maybe on the verge of, of having a community that's kind of a cult of personality. But he seems willing to give up that power, as you've already said, to rescue Eugene. Yeah. There's a there's a sacrificial component to that. Right, right. On the other side of the of the aisle, you have Odin, who's also dead set on his mission to destroy the church. Yeah. We see in the world around us opposing viewpoints at, at kind of at a, you know, butting heads with one another. And what do you say about this notion that the person who can let go and relinquish their need to be right or a leader or a savior is more powerful than the person that holds on to it and fights for it at all costs? Boy, that's a great question because, um, you know, we're, as we're recording this, we're right in the middle of the Republican National Convention. And the two things that are, the two things that are really busy uh, showing up a lot in my social media streams this morning, one is the, you know, the, Melania Trump speech that seems to have cribbed uh, a bunch of lines from a from a Michelle Obama speech, and sure. the other is this benediction by a pastor at the RNC, in which he gets up there and screams and shouts in support of Donald Trump and prays for Donald Trump and says Hillary Clinton is a bad you know bad person and a bad egg and stuff like that and. And and of course, my people on social media all tend to be on the on the Christian left, and so they're all freaking out that this guy would basically use the the words of God and his position as a as a clergy person to speak about power and anger and instead of um, humility and submission, which is you know the way that and the, healing the way, and reconciliation, yeah, the way of and, Jesus. So. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I think it is, I think it is a tricky thing. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's missing in this episode, it's, it's interesting, I'll say this. It's interesting that, like, Eugene is, in some ways, the personification of Jesse's conscience. Yeah. In this episode. Because what's missing in this episode is Cassidy. And Cassidy yeah. is the one who said... In the last episode, well, Jesse, you know, Jesse's not, I don't know what his job is, but I, th- I don't think it's going around condemning people. And then you find out how judgmental Jesse is when he, when he discovers that Cassie's a vampire and he's actually not graceful or forgiving. He's very condemning. And you, I'm just starting to wonder on this, um, the, the, like the interplay between power, everyone's questing after power, right? And not after submission and the one character who's really not questing well not the only one but Eugene and Cassidy these two very deeply flawed characters they're not questing after power it right? feels like they're looking they're they're trying to find relationship yeah they're both lo- that's right they're both pretty lonely broken people with Im- past that they're kind of they're kind of embarrassed by who they embarrassed by who they are and yep. by their own self identity and they just want like they just want both of them just want Jesse to be a friend yep. to be to be their to be their best mate or to be their pastor yep. and Jesse 
seems to have lost uh, lost touch with that. Although when Eugene's spirit comes back from hell, suddenly Jesse is like calling the Asians. No, not the Asians. Oh, Odin hears him say, calling the Asians. And the, and the sheriff is like, no, the agents. Yeah. And they, they bring in the agents. And he's like, I'm ready. You know, you can take this. Yeah, and he makes this another very kind of traditional religious element, right, is you make you make a deal with the devil, basically, right? Yeah. It's like it's like Robert Johnson at the crossroads saying, I'll sell my soul to the devil if I can be the best guitar player of all time. Um, or, you know, the devil went down to Georgia, uh, Charlie Daniels band, things like this is a very common kind of yeah. mythological thing. And Jesse's doing it like I will give up some great power in order to save Eugene. And you think, oh, here, Jesse's back, like the compassionate. Yeah. The compassionate Jesse's back. And the, the flip for us all is that, you know, the, um, Genesis isn't having it. Genesis says, I don't want to be in a coffee can. I want to be in Jesse. Yeah. It's a way cooler vessel. Yeah. Busts out of the coffee can and goes back into Jesse. Um, so, I mean, all that, it's, I don't know that I'm answering your question as much as saying... No, I, I think, think illustrating a little bit. These questions, I'm interested in the, in the characters who seem powerless and compassionate. Even the sheriff, we get this glimpse, right? Oh, man, the he's who, panicked. He, he can't find Eugene. Yeah, the, the parent who uh, threw his plate across the table because, uh, because Eugene was salting his eggs a couple yeah. episodes back and so mad at him and says, you know, like, why don't you go just finish the job? Finish just like somebody spray painted on your ceiling. Yeah. And now he, he, he admits to Odin, which is so odd, you know, because Odin is like the least compassionate and most affectless That's character right. in the series. He says, you know, I mean, everything wasn't great, but we, we had some good times together and I, you know, there's nobody more important to me in the world than my son. And right. you get this, like, this is just a dad who misses his son. And Odin doesn't, Odin walks away. Like, Odin do- actually doesn't care yeah. that, that uh, Eugene is missing and that, you know. So I think you see, and, and, I, and then, one, I mean, the one last character I'd say is that uh, Tulip is somewhere on the borderline between soft, sensitive, compassionate, caring, and hard-edged criminal who uh, is out for revenge, you know? Yeah. And she seems like she could go either way, and she's kind of waiting for Jesse to lead the way on which way he's going to go. Yeah, and I think one of the last things that we could reference quickly before we wrap up is the ways in which the citizens of Anvil gather to watch this showdown. Uh, you know, they're turning yeah. this battleground into entertainment, and it kind of it. it momentarily, I was like, "Oh, that must be what watching the GOP convention is like." You know, you put out your lawn chair and get your popcorn. Yeah, um, because you know, there's this line that Fiore has to Jesse says, "You've." You, you know, you've possessed the greatest power ever known, and what have you done with it? And, you know, it just makes me think that there are people, you know, and you and I have been guilty of this, that, you know, we just comment on it, or we yeah joke about it, or we, or we just watch it. You know, whatever it is, whatever conflict it is, we don't do anything, you know. Um, well, there's I this, think there's this cultural criticism yeah. here in the show that says, you know, we're just these lazy people who would rather just watch it and be entertained by it than do anything about well, it. Well, there's this, there's this um, 
there's this interplay too between real violence and fictional violence because it's very meta this part because you know um some of the guys like donnie is dressed up in his um in his civil war reenactment garb and another guy who says something at one point i notice he's he's holding a musket you know he's not carrying a rifle he's carrying a musket and so there's this like these guys are civil war reenactors and people go out to watch them um watch them reenact violence without really being violent then yeah. you've got this other part where these same guys have this game where they chase women in lingerie around the town at night and one girl falls down a, down a sinkhole. Oh, well, yeah. Right? And then you've got this. And so the, the people in the town, like the lines between fictional violence and real violence are so blurred that they're going to come out and watch as though they're going to watch a Civil War reenactment. But then, of course, that reflects it back on us, the viewers, because we're like, we're watching this very violent TV show that, I mean, I've talked to multiple people who cannot watch this show. My wife doesn't watch it because it's so violent. And you and I are kind of like, well, it's fictional violence. I mean, it's comic, it's comic book violence, you know? And it reminds me back to when I watched The Matrix. And I was like, people were like, you, how can you go, how can you love that movie, The Matrix, so much? There's so much violence. I mean, there's literally in slow motion, empty um empty shells hitting the floor from from guns that are going off you know you remember that scene and yeah in the matrix and we were like well no but that's not actually happening in the real world that's only happening in the matrix yeah they're just they're just shooting basically computer animations of people they're not it's not there's no real blood but this line man between the real and the hyper real that's a lot that that's a lot of good philosophy and a lot of good film and and now I think television is playing with that. What oh, does sure. this yeah. what does this fictionalized violence do to us? Yep. Well, it's it, it was a rich episode, and I think the last two are gonna be amazing. So yeah. um we well, what we know is that Jesse's about to sign the church over and he asks Odin Quinn Cannon for one more Sunday. Um, that's going to be an interesting Sunday. And that sounds like that's going to be the climax. You know, they're really going to bring it all to a head. So, yeah. all right. Well, yep. thanks everybody for listening to killer Serials, where we take a, a awesome serial TV show and break it down week by week and look at it through the lens of theology and spirituality. See you next week. All right. Bye-bye. It's about my dad. I want you to hurt him. You know it's a sin just to ask me that. I know. People said before you were a preacher, you did things. How hurt you want him? How far do I go? Problem is, your daddy's a big fella. He's gonna fight back. Things will escalate. That's what these things do. They escalate. And violence makes violence. Makes nothing much at all. Preacher! Enough!
Almost done, Sheriff. Is that what you want, kid? Jesus, what kind of a preacher are you? <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.